0: You wanna talk about a convention? There's a convention. Our house, our town, Duke football. One intention. One intention. That's to kick their fing yeah. there. Yes. Kick their fing oh. heavens up right, let's go. Welcome
1: to episode three of the Duke Football Talk Section 17 Podcast. I am your host, Brian Kennedy, alongside my fellow Section 17ers, Josh Cox, Jamie Holt, and Scott Medlin. Thank you so much for listening in. We hope that everyone has been doing well and staying safe since our last episode. If you haven't already, look us up on Facebook by searching Duke Football Talk. That's Duke Football Talk. And on Twitter by searching the handle at Duke FB Talk. Again, that's at Duke FB Talk. Fellas, it's been a little while since we've all gotten together with our last episode. How have things been since we've uh, discussed things Duke-wise? Josh, how have you been doing, bud?
0: Yeah, man. So, uh, I'm actually, I-, I feel like we're steps closer to getting a positive um, outlook on the season. I'll be honest, the last time we recorded, um, I was kind of in that, uh, in that mindset that we probably wouldn't be playing football. Um, and I believe with the NFL kind of leading the way, and I know college football is much more of a complex um, story because there's private universities, public, there's a lot of different variables there. Uh, but but I, I, I feel like we're heading towards a season. So, um, so I'm doing better because, uh, like I said last time, I was, I was thinking we might be in for a a less fall. But I'm, I'm looking forward to the season.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of things uh, on the, coming up on the bright side from the news we've certainly been hearing lately with sports getting back uh, on track sooner than later. So, fingers crossed we start the season on time. Big Dog, Scott, how you been doing since we last spoke?
2: Been doing good, guys. Been doing good. Um, definitely agree with Josh. Things do look like they're going in the right direction for us to start, hopefully on time. Um, of course, like some people, they're still skeptical. I'm still on the. It's May 27th. We don't have to worry about August 31st yet, but we're still trending in the right direction. So that's that's a major deal for us. And with all these sports starting to start back, starting back, that is definitely a trend in the right direction for everybody.
1: Yeah, and again, uh, news of the NHL possibly starting up soon, the NBA. Uh, when you have professional. Uh, sports starting sooner than later, that's that's a very positive sign. Again, uh, college is a little bit different with athletes and uh, close quarters, with practices, everything like that. But, again, like like Scott said, we're a few months away, so hopefully when uh, the last week of August, first week of September comes around, we'll be back in the stands watching Duke uh, open the season up. Jamie, how have things been going with you, bud, since we last spoke? Going
3: great. Uh-huh. Working from home, just same old, same old. I agree with everybody. I'm starting to, I'm actually, I've been so deprived of sports. I'm watching NASCAR. Um, so I'm looking forward to getting out in August and socially distancing at uh, Wallace week. So.
1: Hey, don't, don't be knocking on NASCAR. It was the first sport to come back. <laughs> so that, you must really be desperate, like you said, if you're watching NASCAR. But hey, you got to do something to pass the time. Well, we had a lot of fun during our last episode, and if you haven't um, listened, please give it it a listen. We're three episodes in. Episode two, uh, we had a little fun. We drafted our own Cutcliffe-era football teams, and we had a little bit of a fan vote after the episode aired to see who had the best team. Josh, I see you waving here.
0: Yeah, I I might interject here. Uh, I will take my defeat square on the chin. So, fan voting on Facebook. Um, I think I got, like, two votes, and one of them was me. I voted for myself. So, <laughs> listen, my team sucked, evidently. Um, but uh, kudos. Kudos to you guys. Jamie kind of took, took the sentimental win there. But I, I wanted to just get it out there. I took. I take the loss, you know, square on the chin. I do feel like I got – I didn't get, like, the best of the best of anything. So, I'll, I'll take the loss. It's okay. It's okay. Stook football, we take the loss. It's all good.
1: Well, as Josh alluded to, based off the fan vote, Jamie was uh, deemed as the winner of our Cutcliffe Fair draft. And, Jamie, I got to ask, is there anyone you want to thank other than the fans that uh, voted for your team?
3: Yeah, I mean, I want to thank you guys for drafting the terrible teams. I, mean, <laughs> I, was able to, I was able to get everybody I wanted, you know, coming in.
1: Well, what's what's that saying? A blind squirrel gets a nut every once in a while. So congrats from uh, the three of us, Jamie. But we're going to move on for this episode. uh, We're going to go down memory lane. We're going to look back and discuss the Cutcliffe-era bowl games. In total, we're going to be discussing the six bowl games that Duke has gone to since 2012. I will say not all of them have been wins. We are three and three as a team under David Cutcliffe with uh, bowl games. But uh, we're, gonna, we're gonna start from the beginning. We're gonna go all the way up into our most recent bowl game, the Independence Bowl. And I couldn't think of a better person to get us started than the big dog, Scott, because, uh, well, Scott, you were at that game. You were at the 2012 Belt Bowl. And uh, to the best of your memory, what what stood out the most to you about that bowl game? Obviously, it was the first bowl game for Duke in almost 20 years. But other than that, what, what were your impressions from that first bowl game in, back in 2012 in Charlotte? Well, the atmosphere
2: was great. Um, there, was a, there were a whole lot of Duke fans, obviously, because it was a short ride. There were a whole lot of Cincinnati fans. And where we were positioned on the field, the band, we were in towards the end zone, and the, band, the Cincinnati band happened to be on our end. So, you know, that, met, that made it a little bit louder from where we were sitting at. But as far as the Duke fans that were there and stuff, I mean, it was a great crowd. They were in it. They enjoyed it. Of course, you know, we jumped out on them 16 to nothing. Just like that. I mean, before we knew it, it was 16, nothing. We had a touchdown. a field. We missed the extra point, of course. Touchdown. Then we blocked the punt and recovered it in the end zone. And then pretty much we took a nap. We went down they scored 17 straight on us so we're up 17 16 and a half. And it was kind of funny. Um I didn't realize this until we did the research or I'd forgotten it, I guess is the is the proper way of looking at it. That Butch Jones was the coach and got offered the job at Tennessee before this game. So he actually led them to the nine and three record that they had that season, Cincinnati that is, to get to play us there in the bowl game and he left. And of course, um, that Cincinnati team was tough. You know, they got down sixteen nothing, and they're like, "Okay, whatever, let's play." And that was the first time that I remember the name Travis Kelsey. And I think Duke that night put my man on the map to where he is, if not the top, at least in the top two tight ends in the NFL. And the 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 play that comes to my memory. The, the one that actually sealed the deal. He caught an 83 yard pass. Well, he caught a 20 yard pass and crisscrossed the field and outran the Duke defenders for 83 yards for the touchdown to put him away. Man, and you could feel the life in the stadium because at first, 16 nothing, everybody's just like, oh my goodness, this is great. And then when it was 17 16, you started feeling uneasy. It's like, eh, okay. And then Duke got back into it, and it was neck and neck. They let Kelsey catch that pass, man, and he was gone. And you could just see it from where we were sitting at. He caught the pass in front of us, and you could see him just going straight to that other end zone, and it was just – you could feel your heart just sinking. It was just – it was it was painful. But all in all in that game, you know, we played pretty decent. Uh, threw for 360 yards. Uh ran for 200, we only gave up five, well, only gave up 554, but we had 560. And one of the funny stats about this uh, Cincinnati team, they only averaged scoring 32 a game in the regular season and only averaged giving up 18 and a half a game. So they scored a little bit more, and they gave up a whole lot more than they had all season. So at the end of the deal, it it was very painful but Duke was in a bowl game, so it was kind of like a win, you know, for the fan base anyway, if nothing else.
1: Well, and, and what a lot of fans don't remember is this was right after we uh, – correct me if I'm wrong, guys, but we beat Carolina to get bowl eligible. Yes. That was the Jamison Crowder slant route in the end zone to beat, you know, Carolina at Wallace Wade. So we were riding a high going into that game. Yes. But, again, uncharted territory. Uh, first bowl game and uh, again, 18 years. Um, you know, definitely had the adrenaline, Scott, like you said, where we, we went out 16-0. But then I think reality came back and, and calmed us down because I, what I remember from that game is that, like you said, but then clawing and fighting our way back in the fourth quarter and we still had a shot near the end. But, unfortunately, Sean Renfrey threw a uh, – I believe it was a pick six that pretty much sealed the game that night. Josh?
0: Yeah, the, the big play in that game, though, <laughs> that just was the fumble. Um, and, and I – for some reason, I thought it was Jalay Duncan. I think he was a true freshman that year. But that was actually Josh Snead um, that fumbled that ball at the five-yard line. And we would have gone – it was a tie ball game. So, we would have gone up a touchdown with three minutes – like, three and a half minutes left to go in the game. Now, that's not to say that they wouldn't have gone down the field and scored, but, I mean, they went down the field and scored (laughs) after that fumble, and, um, you know, and then obviously the pick six sealed it. But the pick six was kind of – I mean, we were at the 40-yard line with, like, under 20 seconds left or something like that. So, the pick six wasn't like, you know – anyway, that that will – to me, the fumble is – you know, and I love Josh Sneed, Man, I hate it for him. Uh, but that fumble was – man, that was, that was a terrible, a terrible thing to have happen.
1: Yeah, I've blocked that out of my memory. Thanks for making me uh, rehash that, Josh. But you're, you're right, for sure. But, guys, I mean, t- 2012, again, it was our first bowl game in a long time. Not the result that we or any other Duke fan wanted, but it was only the beginning. 2012, again, we got bowl eligible. But then 2013, things just got even better. We had a great year overall, and it led to an ACC title uh, in the coastal division. And then we played um, FSU, which we're not going to talk about. And then we got the birth to the Chick fil A ball. Now, three of the four of us on this podcast actually were present for that game Josh, um, Scott, <laughs> and Jamie. I was at home with family, but guys, you got to just go into some you know, details about what it was like in the Georgia Dome uh, playing an SEC school, uh, especially against Johnny Football, Johnny Manziel, someone that uh, we feared. I mean, he put up some amazing numbers in 2013, and that was, uh, that was the first thought going in is we don't have a chance against these guys. Jamie, what, what was your memories from that night?
3: And we got down there early. I remember me and me and my cousin had come in from the game to go with Josh and Scott and Josh's dad up too. And um, the the atmosphere was electric. We went to the, we went to the pre, pre kickoff and it just like, we were walking around in there. Lots of Texas A&M fans. We actually got really close to Johnny Manziel. I remember it because he, I was trying to get a picture and he took his, took his hoodie and kind of ducked it over his head like a punk he is and and, uh, and covered himself up. But in the stadium, the my atmosphere was electric. It was a great game. So many highs and lows. I mean, you got the ultimate high of taking the big lead and then the ultimate low, heartbreak. Johnny Manziel just went crazy on us. It might be the single best performance I've ever seen live by a quarterback. I'm not sure. I'd have to look back on all the games I've been at, but that was, that's definitely up there. And it was my first bowl game experience, and I don't regret going. Uh, it was amazing. Had the heartbreak. I got back to the hotel room and kind of thought through it, and then I was like, man, I'm super proud of this team. Just like just so many highs and lows throughout that entire night.
0: Yeah, that, that game, I feel like, uh, put us on the map. I mean, I know we had <clears throat> gotten to a bowl the previous year, But going 10 and 3, um, and or 10, and I guess we were 10 and 2 going into that game. Maybe no 10 and 3, uh, because of the Florida State game, but whatever we were 10 wins. Um, I remember at halftime, we're up 38 to 17. So we're up 21 points at halftime. And I remember us sitting there, by the way, we had awesome seats in the end zone, um, about what 20 rows up or so, just really, really good seats. But, um, I remember going, guys, I, I know that we can't stop them from scoring in the second half, but I don't think they can stop us three times. Like, they got to stop us three times from scoring. That means no field goal, no touchdown, three times in order for them to come back. And I'm sitting there going, I just don't think that can happen. I mean, we got to look. We got to be, um, like, super, super – yeah, I know Anthony Boone is going to Anthony Boone at some point in time. But my man, and I'm, I'm pulling up the exact stats right now, but my man threw for 427 yards, um, three touchdowns, two interceptions. One of them was the one that sealed the deal. Unfortunately, but you got Josh Schneed, who he never had numbers like this: 17 carries, 104 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, Crowder, I mean, this was this was peak Jameson Crowder: 12 catches, 163 yards, and a touchdown. You know, just looking at the stats, I mean, as a team we outgained them 661 yards to 541 yards. And so I just remember sitting there thinking, man, we are, we are here and we belong here. I mean, they had Mike Evans. I mean, they, they were, they were legit. And we got, we've got um, Ross Cockrell matching up, you know, with Mike Evans and, and, and all that stuff. But I just remember sitting there, like it was so emotional for me. Like I absolutely um, had a blast. And here's the thing. We lost the game. I hate it for Anthony Boone. Absolutely hate it. It was a terrible decision, uh, that pick six. Uh, but I remember a couple of things. Number one, I remember Manzel after the game, giving him like a huge shout-out on social media, um, giving Anthony Boone a huge shout-out because he knows that Boone matched his play. I mean, Boone, Anthony really did. And then I remember thinking, I know we lost that game, but that's probably the greatest Duke football game that I've ever been a part of. Um, and just being there. I think it, honestly, I know we had already kind of had a foothold in Georgia, but I feel like from that game forward, it seems like every single year, the number one state we seem to be getting recruits from is the state of Georgia. And I almost wonder if that wasn't because we really kind of solidified who we were taking on an SEC powerhouse like that in Atlanta. Well,
2: some of the things that I remember about the game, Um, It actually worked out the week before we were going. Um, I'd gone to Chick-fil-A over on Hillsborough Road and won tickets, won upgrade tickets from where I'm supposed to be sitting with you guys. And we actually had seats on the 50-yard line, about 15 rows off the field right behind the Duke bench. Unfortunately, that was the section of the Texas A&M fans. And, yeah, there was was a couple of them that were really – one dude was losing his mind in the first half yelling, Johnny, Johnny, come on, Johnny, 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 Johnny. I'm like, dude, calm down. So then when Johnny started heating up in the second half, he made sure that everybody in the section knew Johnny was heating up. So he was going crazy. But the thing I remember was the atmosphere. Definitely the the pregame stuff. Uh, we were able to do the fan fest and things like that. That was, that was phenomenal. That was awesome. Uh, that was one of the things we missed out on. The, I missed out on the year before in the belt ball. Um, being a little bit further away, we had a little more time to deal with. Um, I did think, you know, looking back and talking about seeing Manziel and seeing the team, I remember Kevin, someone and the team walking by us as we all had our phones out looking at us like, what in the world are these three dudes in Duke clothing doing, looking at us, trying to video us. And he's just, I mean, he's just looking at us and the rest of the players are just, okay, what are these three nuts doing? They kept walking. Nobody said anything. You could see him over here in the corner with his little hoodie on his head looking, you anyway. know, but yeah, it was, it was a great atmosphere. Um, that place got loud when we went up early, it got loud. I re- I remember, um, a couple of things about the game. I don't ever remember Jamison Crowder being that wide open. He, uh, Anthony threw him open a couple times to where their DB was five, 10 yards off the ball. And Jamison just outran everybody. Uh, one of the biggest things that I remember towards the end, uh, the, the pick at the very end, but also remember there was multiple times where we held onto the football just way too much. You know, as a quarterback in third, fourth year, you got to know that five seconds. You know, to know you got five seconds from A to when you get sacked. And that was one of the things, This is one of the few things about Boone that drove me insane. He – He got to five, and then by seven, he's still trying to move around, and by seven, he's getting ready to get tackled or he's throwing it away. But I remember, too, about that game, Braxton Deaver. They could not guard him. He had six catches for 116 yards. All he did was basically just release kind of what I'm hoping they do with Noah Gray this year. Released him right off the line of scrimmage, and boom, just dropped it to him, and he just outran everybody or ran over everybody. So that was one of the big things. I remember, you know, the, like I said, the atmosphere was great. And even in the loss, you know, walking out, you know, especially walking out of the Texas A&M section, it was kind of – it was really rough because, you know, everybody's yelling at you and being jerks. But uh, walking out knowing that we actually were – we should have been there. We should have come home with the, champion, with the uh, trophy at the end of the night. But that to me felt like that's when Duke football – was finally getting on D stage. It was a national uh, TV game, New Year's Eve. We were in this parking lot trying to get out of the parking deck as the new year had started. So it was great. And uh, definitely enjoyed it.
1: Yeah, I'm taking a different uh, view of this because, again, I wasn't there with you guys. I wanted to be there. But then the self-doubt came in. Do I really want to spend all this money to see Duke get blown out by Texas A&M? And m and you got to understand, I'm, I'm a Duke football fan at heart, but I'm also a realist. We're playing an SEC school. When was the last time we played an SEC school uh, in a big game and, and stayed with them? It had been years. And I can remember, again, I was, I was over at my dad's house, and we invited a buddy of mine who was a UNC fan. And at the beginning of the game, he even said to me, there's no chance Duke's going to do anything in this game. You know, you'll be lucky if this game's still on at halftime. And my dad, who's a Duke fan, agreed with him, said, yeah, we'll probably be watching something else at halftime. So halftime comes. We're doing uh, shots because Duke's leading, (laughs) which none of us expected. And, Mom, if you're listening to this podcast, I apologize. but um. It's funny how the views of the non Duke fans and even Duke fans that were there that night changed their perception changed because at the end of the game, I was so visibly and emotionally just done frustrated. I had Carolina fans consoling me and telling me you guys should have won that game. My own father said, I never thought that they would last that long. They should have won that game. So kind of to what Scott was saying, that raised a lot of – that night that raised a lot of eyebrows.
0: Made a lot of people take note of Duke football going forward. And social media was – I mean, it was here. um, But I remember, like, we just got mad respect, man, on social media from, like, national, you know, syndicated, you know, uh, places. And and these guys who have very, very loud voices in the sports arena – college football arena. Um, Just a lot of good publicity. And I think about it now, if that were to happen nowadays, I mean, we got basketball recruits now saying that social media is one of the reasons why they've chosen Duke, right? So like, in the age of social media, whenever you can get respect like that, um, it's got to help your recruiting, and it definitely kind of helps your overall brand. So all in all, 2013 was like, it was, a, it was an incredible year. Um, I'll never forget that season. I'll never forget that year. Um, and, and, you know, it was, it was one of those years where Brandon Kinnett was still in everybody's touchdowns. Um, but, but I'll take it. It was the wins. And um, it was truly an incredible experience to be at the bowl. And I would say if you're listening to this podcast and you've never made the trip to a bowl game, if it's, if it's anywhere possible for you to get there to a game – Man, I would I would strongly encourage you to bite the bullet financially, get to a game. There's just nothing like that atmosphere.
1: Well, as as Josh said, it was a it was a great year, but unfortunately, it was a second straight bowl loss, another heartbreaking loss to a to a otherwise great season. Uh, and, and then we head into 2014, and it wasn't really a drop off season like some teams go through after two straight bowl appearances. We actually almost had a better season than 2013. Not a lot of folks remember this, but Duke was eight and one with three games remaining in the season, ranked 19th in the country. And they were basically in the catbird seat on the way to a second ACC title game. But in comes Virginia tech. Here comes UNC wanting revenge. Next thing you know, we lose two of our out of our last three games and Georgia Tech leapfrogs us to head to not only the um, ACC title game, but the Orange Bowl, which we had been projected to go to leading up to the Virginia Tech game to play everyone's favorite team, Alabama. Boy, what a bowl game that would have been. But regardless, we still finished the season 9-3, uh, and three, and we got a berth to the Sun Bowl. So three bowl games in three years. Arizona State was not a knockover team you know doing my research as well they were seventh in the country eight and one in their first nine games and then they dropped two out of their last three but what's so crazy is is they only fell to 15th in the nation when Duke lost two out of their last three they fell out of the top 25 completely so you gotta wonder what were the pollsters and you know favoring Arizona State with I guess their resume that they had played you know other than you know, Pac-12 schools, but this was one where I went back the the 2014 Sun Bowl and just and just relived um, earlier today while we were getting ready for this uh, for this episode. And in true Duke fashion, we just did not come out of the gates at all for this game. We got down twenty to three in the first half. Our first two possessions, guys. Six the first possession or the first series. Six plays, two yards. We had the ball for two minutes and 37 seconds. The second possession we had in the game, three plays, two yards, a minute and 28 seconds. Was uh was Zach Roper um, – or was he the uh, offensive coordinator back then? Sorry, Scotty Moe. I, I had to say it. But one thing about this team was even though when they were down in adversity, unlike other Duke teams in the past where they would just roll over and, and play dead, they came back, um, I think – at halftime, we were only down 20 to 17. Uh, and, and the big play in the first half that I can remember is, I believe, Jamison Crowder, that 68-yard kickoff, or um, punt return, I should say, right before the half. We were down 20 to uh, 10. And had he not done that, that could have been the game. And – Again, this Arizona team was not a, or Arizona State, sorry, was not a knockover team. I mean, they were a legitimately good team. So that's two years in a row that we played two uh, top twenty-five teams. But one thing that I forgot when I was going back and reviewing the tape was, is we went up uh, thirty-one to thirty late in the game due to the trick play where Jameson Crowder threw the twelve-yard pass to Isaac Blakeney. That was, and it was fourth and two. That could have been the ball game right there. And then um, I guess it was Scotty Moe, guys, right? Scotty Moe, that was the – okay. Yeah, he pulled out his bag of tricks, and, and we were up 31-30. But then we had heartbreak yet again because on the kickoff, uh, Kalen Balage, who is now at the Miami Dolphins, he would return the kickoff 96 yards to the Duke 4 where the go-ahead touchdown would happen the very next play by DeMario Richards and in true anthony boone fashion guys we drove all the way down to the 14 yard line the final drive of the game 45 seconds left what does he do throws a pick in the end zone ball game i i i I said this to you guys i'm telling everyone i legitimately got upset today watching this game because i blocked this game out of my memory because i remember watching this live going We're going to win this game. Anthony Boone's going to break out of his mold. He's going to finally lead us to a victory. He throws a pick. I remember just getting up and leaving, (laughs) leaving the living room. I I don't know if you guys have any memories of this game or not, but reliving the replay today brought back some great memories, but also brought back some bad memories.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think we've we've, – where we give credit to um, a guy like Anthony Boone for – the 2013 performance in the Chick-fil-A Bowl, I mean, his numbers uh, for this game were were pretty, were pretty shoddy. 15 for 31, 193 yards. He did have two touchdowns, but one pick, one incredibly bad pick. Um, at the end of the day, this was just a disappointment because like you said, Brian, and it gets overlooked by Duke fans, the way we started that season out, was gonna be something special again. And I feel like this bowl game now it made us lose three out of our last four games in the season. And it was just what a way to lose, man. Well I'll never forget the the kick the kickoff return to the four. It's just like, man, we go ahead with this amazing emotional trick play and then immediately give it back. Immediately. And um bowl games are tricky. You know what I mean? It's weird. It seems like Certain elements of your game show up, and other elements of your game, you know, don't. Um, but I, I do think it's kind of cool um, on a positive note for this game. Shaq Powell had an awesome game uh, running back. And then Crowder was responsible for two touchdowns. Neither one of them was involved in catching a pass. So I thought that was kind of neat. He had two touchdowns. One of them was, was a passing touchdown, and the other was a punt return. So I didn't think that was kind of neat. But other than that, you're right. Just a, just kind of an anger, kind of an angry-ridden uh, uh, game for, for us, for sure. Scott, uh, what do you remember about this game, man?
2: Uh, well, a couple things about it. Um, I remember that during that time I had Dish Network, which was kind of interesting, and they were having a uh, dispute with CBS. So they, weren't, they didn't have the game on here where I lived. The only people I knew that didn't have Dish were my parents. So, I actually had to go over to their house that afternoon, and they were leaving for a Christmas party or after Christmas party that night. So, I actually was able to watch the game there. But, you know, a couple things I remember about it. Uh, I remember the fake punt that we ran that uh, I think it was Parker that threw the pass. It wasn't I'm sorry. It wasn't Parker. It was, that's right. It was Will Mundy. I'm sorry. Threw the pass, and everybody and their brother thought, oh, they're going to punt again. And, Cut, just dials up with a fake play, a fake punt, and boom. So that was one of the few times that I can remember a trick play working out in our favor. When everybody in the world was like, no, 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 no. It worked. So that was one of the things. I remember. And I, also in that game, we only ended up punting three times. You know, the score kind of indicated that, you know, it went back and forth a little bit. We only punted three times, though. So I thought that was kind of interesting looking back on it because I had forgotten that but it is interesting to see how that stuff worked out and uh and went
0: yeah for sure um so i mean that game honestly that's kind of that's kind of where we're at for this one um you know it, it was disappointing nobody uh nobody but left left there honestly di- it was much different than than the previous year we lost and we left with our heads held high. i feel like this game um was just demoralizing um and, and you know it was a long distance in the Sunball too i mean hardly any duke fans were there it was just kind of one of those i don't know it's one of those bowl games where you just kind of want to forget it and uh i'm glad that we were able to uh brian the pessimistic duke football fan that you are i'm really glad that you got you got this bowl game to go over i think that was that was awesome so i'm just glad you got that jamie any any memories from this game that we hadn't already brought up man
3: no, I think uh, y'all covered it all. Just like what you just ended with, I think the big thing that jumped out at me was we went from being super proud of the team in the Chick-fil-A Bowl to being proud to be in in a third straight bowl, but also very disappointed. Like, like coming away like really mad at this point. <laughs> we should have. There's no way we should have lost that game. That's,
1: Yeah, it it was almost getting to the point for me, and I don't know if you guys would agree to where we were getting to the finish line with bowl games and we were getting used to getting to bowl games, but we were getting very frustrated with losing uh, the bowl games. It was, guys, when are we going to get over this hump? When are we going to get over this hurdle? That's great we go bowling. That's great we win 10 games. That's great we win nine games, but we need to bring a trophy home to solidify the season and again losing 3 out of 3 uh 3 years in a row that that's what was frustrating a lot of duke fans me especially
0: yeah for sure so so we've now gone 3 years in a row um over 3 um but then in 2015 um we would make it 4 years in a row which just if you think back on the duke football of our childhood and our teenage years um, to think that we'd be in a bowl game for a fourth straight year um, is just incredible. This time, uh, we played the Indiana Hoosiers, and we were in the Pinstripe Bowl in one of the most unique environments um, in New York City uh, at Yankee Stadium. Um, one of the, I was in the, at the time. I was living in Baltimore, which is a three-hour drive from Yankee Stadium. Desperately wanted to go to this game. But it was during the time during Christmas break when I happened to be in Michigan, which we'll talk about later, um, with my wife's family. So Duke is playing in the pinstripe bowl close to my house at Yankee Stadium. And I had gone to New York numerous times living in Baltimore. And there I was stuck in the the armpit that is the Detroit, Michigan area uh, watching the game. But, uh, but uh, Jamie, um, tell us a little bit about the pinstripe ball. And I think the pinch, this is the turning point, Jamie. You got it, dude. Right. We, this, is the, this is the bowl game that turns it all. So, Jamie, tell us a little bit more about that game, what you remember.
3: Yeah, this is it. I mean, 2015, let's look at that season just a little bit, a season of up and, ups and downs. So, rightly so, we go to a bowl game, and this pinstripe ball is a game full of ups and downs. Unlike previous, the previous two years when we played Texas A&M and Arizona State, who were very stacked and stout teams, we're playing Indiana, who was coming into the year six and six, and we were seven and five. So we're looking at this game like we we can win this, right? We're let's do this. But this game was so crazy. This game featured eight lead changes and three ties. The, one of the craziest stats that I was looking at when I was looking back on the game and I rewatched the game as well. Indiana had 667 yards of total offense in a losing effort. That's insane. That's insane to me. Uh, Duke had 536 yards of total offense. <clears throat> Duke had an astonishing 373 yards on the ground. Indiana had come in with not a very good run defense, and Duke knew that. And Duke just straight up just pounded pounded them on the ground. Uh, three guys had over 100 yards rushing. Thomas Sturt led the way with 155 yards on the ground with two touchdowns, including one for 73 yards. That wasn't even the longest run of the game, though. I'll get to that in a minute. Duncan had 109 yards on the ground. And then what I was talking about before, big play Sean Wilson one of the most electrifying running backs I've ever seen at Duke. Had 103, he had 103 yards on the ground, including a 85-yard touchdown run, which if, I, if I'm right, I do believe is still tied for the Duke record as longest, longest run in history. And Sean Wilson wasn't done there. He added a 98-yard kickoff return for a score to later. <clears throat> Strangely enough, with all these offensive fireworks, the game started out kind of slow. Duke jumped out to a 10-0 lead and it really looked like it really looked like Duke was going to blow him out. But unfortunately, Thomas Stark, as good as he was on the ground, he was only 17 for 37 in the air. And there was a couple of wide open guys that he missed that could have been easy scores. Uh, so Indiana was able to come back, score 14 consecutive points. The game ended up being tied at halftime, 17 all. And that's where the things get really interesting. The game just really flip-flopped in the second half. Duke jumped out with a field goal. Indiana takes the lead, going up 24-20. Uh, and it really looks like at that point, Indiana's going to start to take control. They they get their first three and out. They they shut Duke down after taking the lead 24-20. Duke has the punt. Monday comes on with a punt. Shaq Powell speeds down the field and causes a fumble. Duke recovers. Three plays later, they're in the end zone with a start jump pass to Deaver. The game just continues to go back and forth to the end of regulation. Indiana misses a potential game-winning field goal, 56-yard field goal as time expires. Then comes the chaos. Duke gets a field goal on their opening drive from Ross in OT. Duke's up 44-41. The Duke defense holds Indiana to three and out. And in comes a 38-yard field goal attempt. Was it good? Was it not good? Not sure. Still not sure to this day. And I still don't care because that gave us the win. The refs, the refs huddled. Indiana was, Duke was celebrating. Indiana was arguing. The refs huddled. They decided that the ball went directly over the upright. So, therefore, it's not reviewable. Game's over. Cry, Indiana cry. This is our first win since 1961 on a bowl game. 54 years streak, broken.
0: Hey, and correct me if I'm wrong, Jamie. This is the same year that the officials in the Miami game. Are we talking about the same? This is the same year of the Miami game? Okay. Yes, okay. So we, we have been bitten by the bug, the absolute worst officiating performance in, in any football game that I have ever seen. Was the Duke Miami game this year uh, this 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 fifteen. Twenty yeah two thousand fifteen when you know the knee was down uh, they picked a flag up that they had that they had already called the penalty on just we won't even get into that, but at the end of the day all I can say is karma right karma came back in a good way on Duke football for once for once in our in our lifetime um, karma came back i if you put a gun to my head and if they would have reviewed that field goal and you put a gun to my head, I say they call it good if they review it and we go back into the overtime. But once again, I don't really care. We'll take the win, first bowl win. I thought I was awesome, guys. I mean, I was, I was pumped, man. I'll never forget I was going crazy at my father-in-law's house. Brian.
1: Well, again, Jamie was talking about ups and downs of the game. What about ups and downs of the season? We were 6-1 heading into the Miami game. Could have been 7-1. Could have really been 8-0 and o with that Northwestern game because we were up at the half and then we, we just went blank. And then after the Miami game, it's like the wheels fell off. We, we lost four straight. So another season of woulda, coulda, shoulda, we could have been in a better bowl game. We could have had a better record. And I want to say that we were in the same situation with the field goal against Wake Forest that year. I might be I might be wrong with that. It might have been a different year, but I, I could have swore I recall that happened against uh, Wake Forest uh, the last game of the year. I don't think it really mattered, but we had one sail over the uprights at Wake Forest, and they didn't call it good. So that was their that was the justification that Duke fans were making to Indiana fans. But that was such a crazy game. I've got a neighbor who's an Indiana fan, and anytime I mention it to him, he literally just gives me a look that if I keep talking about it, there's going to be problems. He he still to this day says it's good. I said it wasn't good. I trusted the officials that night, and he should trust them too.
3: Hey, coming off of 54 years of, like, bold misery, at that point, I didn't even care. <laughs> like, y'all can say it's good all you want to. I know it wasn't <laughs> That's what the ref said, so we're going to take them at their word.
1: Well, and as they say, Duke gets all the calls, right? Even in football, too, now. <laughs> all right, so we are officially now one in three in bowl games leading up to 2017. Uh, Duke did miss 2016. I think we rebuilt a little bit. I mean, going four for four in bowl games, though, that was, that was still quite the accomplishment. So we had the off year in 16, no bowl game, but quickly rebounded, and we made it to the quick Lane Bowl against Northern Illinois. And as Josh alluded to earlier, uh, things worked in your favor, Josh. Uh, your in-laws live close to Detroit where the Quick Lane Bowl was, and the bowl game just so happened to be played while you were up visiting relatives for the holidays. So what was your memory of this one? Obviously, uh, it was a unique bowl game. We were playing uh, Northern Illinois an opponent we'd never played before. We playing in a stadium that um, Duke had never played in before. And let's be real. I don't think Duke really traveled that well that day um, for under these, under the circumstances. And I, I think you got pretty good seats that day, right?
0: Yeah. So, so definitely this was, um, this was awesome for me. Like I said, it worked out in my favor. Um, my in-laws live about 45 minutes away from four And so, uh, I remember hopping on uh, StubHub stub hub or whatever. And I remember looking at the tickets and I'm like, okay, there's not gonna be that many people there. So I'm like, I'm going to get the cheapest tickets that I can possibly find, you know, and we'll just figure it out. So instead of buying more expensive tickets, I, I did buy like, I think they were like five or six bucks a piece. My father-in-law, like a bunch of us went, we had like six or seven in our, in our group that went. And I remember when we, um, when we were in line to scan in um, because I, my, our seats were actually up in the, you know, third, you know, whatever tier. in Ford Field, by the way, Absolutely beautiful. It is an incredible venue. Like it was, it was really, really nice. But they they scanned our tickets and they're like, you can sit anywhere you'd like, sir. And I'm like, okay, like, you know, I've I've done that long, I've done that enough anyway. Um, so we sat about we sat about 30, probably 30 rows up right at the 50 yard line, um, and were able to take in this game. I do want to go back and talk about how we got to this game. Um, this was another one of those six and six years that I wish we could, you know, turn into eight and four for sure. But this year we began the season by going four and oh. And three out of those four games were a win at home, uh 41 to 17 over Northwestern, who had beaten us the previous year. Fitzgerald was just getting his thing going there. And we absolutely clobbered them. Um, the second game, I know it was a, re- it re- it was a re- rebuilding year for Baylor, but it was at home to Baylor. That's the Britton Brown game where he's like stiff-arming fools into the ground. Um, and then the third game was a win at UNC. Uh, that was the first year that the ACC kind of flipped around the schedule when we played UNC early that year. Um, and so we go into the Miami game at home. Um, yeah, that's right, Scott. That was the uh, the two handed pass, Carolina game where Fields intercepts it from the uh, from the Carolina linebacker that was trying to play quarterback. Um, Duke Miami game, we're four and O heading into Duke Miami, and and I mean we got so excited for that game, guys. We so if you're listening, we all four have season tickets together. We splurged that game and we paid to sit up in the Blue Devil Tower. Um, we got there so early. We're eating everything we can eat, everything we can touch. Um, just having a blast. And man, that game—it was a Friday night game, and that game starts, and we got absolutely manhandled. I mean, it was not—it was not from the opening kickoff until we left. The only thing good about that night was we could eat as much as we wanted to, um, and then we go on to lose five more games, so six games in a row. We lose to, at Virginia, which that's that has begun the fact that we can't get over the Virginia hump. Um, we lost to a Florida State team that year. That was It was the absolute worst Florida State team that ever was. Everybody was beating them that year. We lost 17 to 10. We lost to Pittsburgh at home that year, 24 to 17, and that was not a Pittsburgh team that should have beat us. Uh, then we get we get handled by Virginia Tech 24 to 3. And then Army beats us. So we are sitting there at four and six, having lost to Army. And I'm thinking, we're done. We're gonna go four and eight. And the season's over. Well, somehow, um, somehow we been we win at Georgia Tech, which Cutcliffe, I mean Cutcliffe's got Paul Johnson's number, always has. Um, so we get the W at uh, at home to Georgia Tech. And then we go on the road to Winston-Salem and we beat uh, Wake Forest. And, and, you know, I understand. I know what the Wake Forest is not you know what they used to be uh, for a couple of years under Grove. But still, that's not an easy win. And so we, we did win the last two to get us to six and six. So I, I gave, like, that preview because this game, to me, embodies that. Honestly, we're playing a, a weaker opponent. We barely scraped into a bowl. I mean, Indiana was not the best opponent, but I feel like it was at least a, a better opponent than this. So we do go into this bowl, uh, bowl game, I believe. Um, you know, I don't know what the stats were in Vegas, but I would say I would use the term heavily favored. And truthfully, we start out that way. We, we're up 14 to nothing um, in the first quarter, kind of scoring at will. Uh, this is the Daniel Jones-led team, um, and he led it in every sense of the word. He led us in rushing. Um, in fact, I watched, as I watched this game back today, um, this was a game that Daniel Jones carried the ball 16 times for 86 yards. And there were some specific plays in there that I saw. I feel like if he'd have carried the ball 21 times, maybe five more times, he'd have had like 200 yards rushing. We all know there are those plays. and I know in the, in the moment it's hard to read these. There's so many of those read option plays where we see him leave the ball in the belly of Britton Brown or Sean Wilson where I'm thinking, man, if you pulled that, the entire other side is collapsed. Like, he could have run forever. So, this is one of those games where I think his numbers could have even been, like, gaudier, like that year that he went nuts on Carolina running the ball. Um, But all that to say, uh, DJ had a good game, 27 for 40, 252 yards, uh, two touchdowns. He threw one to to Roming. I mean, Roming gets by the defense with ease. Um, And then he threw one to Sean Wilson out of the backfield. And then you had Sean Wilson once again on the ground and Britton Brown, those two guys at one-two punch um, there. But what happened was we go up 14 nothing, and then they score 14 in a row. And then it did take us uh, scoring a couple times before half. And then, honestly, the second half, I mean, there's not much to say. We were in control of that game. I, like I said, I rewatched it today. I kind of lost interest um, in the second half. Uh, we it, it seemed as if we were playing a team – one of our non-conference games at the beginning of the year. And I'm not, I'm not saying they're North Carolina Central or anything. I'm saying I felt like it was one of those games though, where we play like, uh, uh, you know, Memphis or something, right, Tulsa, where it's kind of like they're not terrible, but we know we're a couple scores better than them. And anyway, all that to say, hey, a bowl win is better than not going to a bowl, and it's definitely better than losing a bowl game. And so we left that day. Um, you know, excited and was able to reconnect with some Duke fans. And Shout out to my guy Mike Saab, ran into him that day as well, and just kind of reconnected with people. So, um, it was definitely, definitely a good, good game. Jamie, what do you remember for that game, man?
3: This isn't specifically about the game, but just reminiscent about that season, which you had talked about before. Like, how is this team not nine and three? Like, I mean, Pittsburgh, Army, and uh, Just games like that, how – I just – they should have been eight and four at the worst, nine and three at the best, and then they end up six and six. But, I mean, who can argue with a bowl win after you've you've been so long of being without, without bowl wins to have won our third straight? That's just an amazing accomplishment.
1: Well, and remember, we spoke about this after the Miami game. It's like it just deflated all the work they put in for those first four games. Because here we are, we're playing at the time they were 14th in the nation, Miami, and we're sitting here prime time on a Friday night going, we win this game, we're in the catbird seat because we started going into the schedule. Well, we got Virginia, we've got Florida State, we've got Pittsburgh. Like Jamie said, easily, we could be, you know, I think it was uh, 8-0 and heading into the Virginia Tech game in Lane Stadium. But the opposite happened. We get the break speed off of us by Miami, and it's like all the – um momentum that we had just got completely taken away then we go on to lose those five straight and i I think the real testament to this team was that we had the momentum even though northern illinois was a less superior team than us i think we just rode high on the victories against georgia tech and wake Forest to get to the bowl game and we just kept riding that whereas in the years past we were doing well doing well doing well then we lose a couple games near the end of the year, and it affected us in the bowl game.
0: Yeah, I see where you're going with that, too. And I think something's got to be said, like, in real – because we try to be realistic on this podcast, and I think that um, the wins – the two wins over Northwestern and Baylor sound much better than what they really were. Those two teams did not have good seasons that year. If I'm I'm mistaken – if I'm not mistaken, Northwestern went on, like – they went like a downward streak the rest of the season. This was the year before Baylor bounced back. Um, Scott, correct me if I'm wrong there, I could be wrong. But I, this was the season before Baylor bounced back. If I, if I remember correctly, we kind of joked about the fact that we got Baylor during the exact times we wanted Baylor because they came back with a vengeance and were like, you know, these last couple of years especially, um, Baylor has been, you know, back for sure and we wouldn't want anything to do with them. But if I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong Those those two, but I believe that those two teams, did not necessarily have as good a season as we thought they were going to have. Go ahead, Scott. Fact check.
2: Actually, um, Northwestern, after they lost to us that day, turned their season around, they ended up being 10-3. and three. They were the final uh, poll. They were number 17 in the country. And they actually beat Kentucky in the Music City Bowl that year. Now, Baylor, you're correct. They, I think they went 0-11 or 0 and Owen something. I think they may have won a game at the very end against the FCS team.
0: With well I stand corrected there. So that makes that does make the Northwestern game uh, you know, you know, legit. Um but yeah, you know, once again, that season was just it was just one of those years, man, where we I mean that was our I don't know, to me that kind of epitomized Duke football. And I know Cutcliffe – we are Cutcliffe fans on this podcast. Um, but that's one of those years, I'll be honest with you like four games into that six-game skid, I'm sitting here going, like, man, at what point do we, do we like, get these guys out of this funk? Like, that's part of it. And, you know, we can't let one bad game, Miami, we can't let it kill us, you know, and, um, I mean, to me, man, we, we just got to get rolling, you know, for sure, um, and get things, work, like I said, eight and four instead of six and six. Just give us eight and four. So, anyway.
1: Well, another, another bowl win, so that gives us two uh, two straight bowls. Uh, and we're now heading into the most recent bowl game that we've gone to, and that was back in 2018, uh, and that was the Independence Bowl against Temple. Uh, none of us went to that game. Uh, there's nothing to do in Shreveport, sorry, it's just the way it is. We didn't want to spend the airfare or the hotel money for it. We had discussed it briefly and then decided, you know what, it's free to watch on TV, so we'll just watch the uh, Independence Bowl from there. But, uh, you know, 2018 was our last bowl appearance, again, against uh, Temple. And, and guys, what, what do you think of when you think the, the Temple Bowl game and the Independence Bowl? I, well, I'll, I'll start. I, I can TJ Romney, he, he decided to go out with a, with a bang. I believe he had 240 receiving yards, which was an Independence Bowl record. Might have been a Duke record for a bowl game. I, I could be wrong. There could have been a record back in the 40s or 50s when we were uh, in bowl games. Nope. Okay. Scott, Scott got me. He said no. But that, that was one thing. And that was uh, Daniel Jones' swan song. That was his farewell to Duke fans. That was his love letter to us as he – exited stage right to head to the NFL draft uh, three months later and would be drafted by the the New York Giants. But, uh, you know, looking at the schedule, I got to do this. Like, we've done this with every other season. We started out five and one in the season, and then we proceeded to lose four out of our last six, to which, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, we finished seven and five for the season. Could have been a whole lot better. but also, you got to remember, there were a lot of ACC teams that got bowl bursts that year. So we, if it had been any other year, we probably would have been in a better bowl game. But based off of the rankings with Coastal, the Atlantic, I think that's where I, we fell where we did against Temple, and nothing against Temple. But that was the day to where we were just a far superior team that day. Jamie.
3: And as we discussed earlier, I mean this game. In the first half it was a it was a game. I mean, Temple was up 27-21 at halftime, and then then it just really clicked. I mean, that's what we've just we had discussed earlier before we had even started the podcast, thirty-five consecutive points. Like that was to just end in a blowout. That was fantastic. I mean, it's therefore we're not sitting on the edge of our seat for a bowl game.
0: That's great. I think it speaks also to the versatility of Daniel Jones. You know, I think Daniel had come off of that. Um, you know, earlier in the season, or maybe in the last game of that season, I don't believe it was, but the Carolina game where my man just ran the ball. And, like, you saw his speed, his breakaway speed. Well, in this game, uh, my man uh, did not rush the ball. Um, this was the, a game he actually, including his sacks that he took, he was actually negative yardage for rushing. Um, and this is the game where Daniel Jones sat in the pocket and he showed his arm off. And uh, to me, I think this game, coupled with watching him in that Carolina game, you know, you can see how, um, you know, the front office uh, in New York was saying, you know, we're going to take a flyer on this guy. Um, Because if you can put the Carolina game and the Temple game together, uh, you see peak Daniel Jones. You see everything that Daniel Jones can do. And, you know, we, we watched Daniel for three years and. Um, you know, there were ups and downs, and there were things that we all knew he could improve on. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, throwing for 423 yards in a bowl game, throwing for five TDs, rushing for another one. So Daniel Jones was responsible for six touchdowns in that game. Uh, just incredible. And just the, the level of dominance. I mean, Gunnar Holmberg is in, the, is in the stats for this game. He, he did a, a quarterback keeper, uh, one rush for 19 yards. You got guys that ran the ball in this game that I don't even know who they are. Like, I'm looking at some of these names. There's a Wallitzer fella on here in the box score that I ain't never heard. I'm sure Scott knows everything about him. He knows, like, his favorite, uh, you know, uh, his favorite flavor of ramen noodles, uh, where he went to high school. And he knows his stats um, in soccer as well in high school. So uh, Scott Scott is, by the way, if you're listening, Scott is our resident um, stats guy, fact checker. And if you have a question, that's kind of like off, like you know, off the beaten path. There's a chance that Scott Medlin knows the answer, and uh, that's that's why he is the number one Duke fan that I know. So, anyway, am, Scott, what do I you remember about this game?
2: I'm definitely the fountain of useless knowledge, especially when it comes to a lot of things Duke-related. Football is one of the things that I can look at the person coming and. Josh will tell you a thousand times, "Oh yeah, that, hey, that's such and such." And Josh was like, "Ooh, like yeah, that's the third string running back." And Josh is like, "You got to do something with your life, buddy." But yeah, one of the things I remember, um, I, if I remember right, before they went on the thirty-five straight run, there was a late hit penalty where they hit Daniel Jones on one of those read options after he handed the football off. And to me, I kept saying to myself, "That was like, okay, fine." You would do that. And then is like cut is just like, okay, really he released the hounds. He said, go after them, take care of them, take care of business. And definitely agree with what Josh was saying about uh, Daniel Jones, definitely in that game and in the uh, Carolina game, that to me were the two games that made Daniel Jones, the draft pick that he was. And b- by the way, off the note, happy 23rd birthday, Danny dimes today is his 23rd birthday. But, uh, that was one of the big deals right there, um, Was why, to my opinion, on why he got drafted, where he did.
0: Yeah, um, I mean, for, for sure. And, by the way, shout out to Scott for knowing that today was Daniel Jones' birthday. I mean, what can we say, guys? Like, anything you need to know, anything you need to know about these players, Twitter, Scott has
1: got Twitter. it. Twitter. Hey, but but don't forget that North Carolina game you guys keep mentioning. Who shook his hand before the game to give him that motivation? Come on now. And whose idea was it? Yes, true. It was it was your idea, Scott. Nobody
2: I mean, else knew it was coming. I looked at the other two guys and I said, Watch this. Got his attention and then Brian's just like, Okay.
1: Hey, <laughs> good game. Have a good game, man. But but going back and, and you know, we'll 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 probably close on this. We we're talking about years past the, the the previous bowl games. We would either end the season on a high note and perform well in the game, the bowl game, or we would end the season on a low low note and then not perform well guys we lost our last two games to Clemson and Wake Forest this in 2018 by a combined score of 94 to 13 heading into the Independence Bowl any other year we wouldn't have had a shot against Temple but I vaguely remembered it might have been because of Daniel Jones we were the odds-on favorite heading into the Independence Bowl and at halftime I'm sitting here going, we were the odds on favor, and now we're struggling to get past this Temple team. But then, as Scott and Jamie and Josh were alluding to, you know, Cutcliffe released the Hounds with, with Daniel Jones in the second half. But, again, it's just the small things that that you realize and see that we could have very easily lost three straight to end the 2018 season.
0: Yeah, there's no question, Brian. I I, I agree. Uh, and, honestly, I don't – you know, like I said, I'm a, I'm a Daniel Jones fan. I, I think this just speaks to his leadership. I think there was something that that clicked inside of him. Whether it was that late hit that kind of triggered, you know, this comeback, or if it was kind of like, if it was kind of like him and Cutcliffe at halftime going, "Hey, Daniel, I know you're, you know, this probably this could be the, your last half of football in a Duke uniform. I'm gonna let you, it's all on your shoulders, buddy. We're going out. We're gonna ride ride you to a victory, or we're gonna get fall to the feet. But but you're the leader. Um, and I will say this too um overall so we just covered from 2012 to current and um i will say this one of the things that going to a bowl game every year or close to every year does for you is it gives you an additional month of practice and it gives the guys more work you know this past year we didn't make a bowl game as soon as that last game is over they have a couple of meetings and those guys are you know they're they're gone uh it's, it's christmas break it's things like that and those those guys are with their families. Uh, when you're when you're going to a bowl game, you practice. And I remember Cutcliffe talking a lot about this. It's just it's very important getting to a bowl game in order to have that extra practice. And I believe it helps you going into spring practice. And you know, so I think it's important. And we we've got to get back um, we've got to get back to where this is every single year. Um, and we can't we can't be content with not going to bowl games. And so I believe Cutcliffe's feeling the pressure a little bit. I believe. Um, that's why he's um, – I think that's, that's why he's taking over the reins of the offense. And I think uh, Cuckler feels the pressure now in a good way. The Duke fan base is now expecting a bowl game. And, man, what a difference that is uh, from, from 2011, you know, uh, to now. So, it's been a, this has been a great episode. Uh, guys, this, that's just my kind of final thoughts. Anything you guys have to offer, I'm kind of must to close.
2: I'd say this. Um, one of the things about the six years that we went to the ball games, um, if you look at the record versus Carolina, we were four and two. Two of those games were the reason we went to bowl games. We had to beat Carolina to make the ball game. So to me, that's great. And we are a bad jump pass away from going to a ball game this past season where we threw it to the used-to-be quarterback, not linebacker, right in his chest. So that was one of the things. And, you know, one last thing, you know, as exciting as it is to go to ball games, it does seem like it takes during those three and a half hours, at least five to six years off of everyone in of Duke fans' life as we're watching the games because of the ups
3: and the downs, the ups and the downs. I mean, speaking of what Josh said, I think now it's nice – to have expectations coming into the year, like every year we we expect to go to a bowl game. I mean, there there was plenty of time after after 1989 after Spurrier, old ball coach, left us, that there were no expectations. And then Cutcliffe comes in and he's built the expectations. Now it's kind of like you you just want to see maybe can we consistently go eight and four. I mean, I'm not asking to go ten and two or 11 and one definitely i mean i don't you know if we did that i'd be thrilled but eight and four consistently seven and five occasional nine and three ten and two maybe make a run at the at the acc championship game i think that's reasonable expectations now and cut has has built us up
1: for that i i think my thoughts looking back at all this is is we're lacking consistency and by that i mean you look at the seasons. We either start out with a bang, and we're on the verge, as as Jamie alluded to, going to the ACC title game, and then it's like we forget how to play football. And then we go to the middle of the road to near bottom of the barrel for the coastal division. Or we start off really slow, and we're thinking, you know, as a fan base, oh, boy, are we even going to get – four wins, five wins. Could we possibly get that sixth win? And then out of nowhere, we play like the team we know we could have played like at the beginning of the year, but now we're just fighting for survival. So while it's been great, don't get me wrong, I love these bowl games. I want to continue to see bowl games coming. I would like to see like a 2013 year to where we go consistent the entire year. We might have a loss here and there, two, three losses, maybe even four, but it's not – We have high expectations at the beginning of the season, and then they're diminished by the end of the season or vice versa. We're so disappointed to begin the year, and then at the end of the year, well, we barely scrape by. Um, I can remember people always ask me, what are your expectations of Duke football? Well, I think we can win six games because in my mind, well, six games is a bowl game. But but now it's – I think we win eight. I think we can win nine. I think we can beat Carolina. I think we can get the victory bowl bell back. I I think we can play against these teams that – Had we been talking 10, 15 years ago, I would be doing something else on that Saturday. I wouldn't even be watching the game. I wouldn't be listening to the game because I already know what the outcome is going to be. So we've definitely come a long way in these past, what was it, 12 years since Cutcliffe has come. And I think the expectation, the hope from us as well as all Duke fans for this year is we go to another bowl game. Yeah, last year, stumped. We didn't make a bowl game. and. Uh, We were, again, a chess pass away from, from making one, but it happens. So all we can do is look forward to 2020. We've got a lot of good things on the horizon, and some of our future episodes we will discuss the season as well as our opponents who we're going to be playing against. And we might even give our projections for the year, what we think Duke will do as far as wins and losses and who we think they should beat and they should not beat. But as far as this episode goes, guys, that will wrap it up. For this episode of the Section 17 podcast. Thanks to each and every one of you who joined us for this episode. Again, if you haven't already, you can find us on Facebook by searching face Duke Football Talk and on Twitter with the Twitter handle at Duke FB Talk. Until next time for Josh Cox, Jamie Holt, and Scott Medlin, I'm Brian Kennedy, and this has been the Duke Football Talk Section 17 Podcast.